you have your Bibles tonight and you would find Matthew the 13th chapter as we are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about let God sort things out. I don't know about you, but I have been guilty of a few times in my life uh, being a control freak, uh, getting involved when I shouldn't have been involved, right? Uh, if you have children, uh, the tendency is to always jump in too soon, probably, when we see things or hear things. But tonight I want to talk to you about this idea of letting God sort things out and probably one of the most challenging things that all of us struggle with, and that is how to be a godly believer in a world of heathens. How does the people of God live in the world, but not of the world? How do we, as God's people, know how to deal with the lost person at work, with the challenging person that lives uh, up the street, with the difficult in-law or ex-law, and this idea of us wanting to sort it all out. Now, I know that none of you would admit to this, but all of us can be extremely judgmental. And we can form opinions of people very quickly. You can uh, form opinions by what they drive or what they live in or how they dress or how they look or how they talk. But if you were like me, there have probably been times in your life when you passed judgment on something about someone and later realized, I was totally and completely wrong. And when we start to talk about the lost, I think it is easy for us as God's people to get frustrated with lost people, to get frustrated with lost people on television, to get frustrated with lost people in politics, to get frustrated to the point where we just don't want to people anymore, right? The fact that it seems like everywhere you go, there is always a cluster of people that make no sense. Not here, not on Sundays, right? But if you go out in public or if you go around any group of people, it just seems like where lost people are, the more frustrated that I can get. And so tonight I want to talk to you because Jesus talks about this idea of wheat and tares and the seed and the soil. And you say, didn't we just talk about a parable about seed and soil a few weeks ago? Yes, we did. But Jesus, again, uses these analogies. And so I want to read one verse to you tonight from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word, and I got a long introduction and hopefully a shorter sermon tonight. But it says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring, both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Pray with me. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us tonight, Lord, to recognize that you alone are judge. Lord, that you alone know the heart of all people. 
So Father, tonight I hope that you will help us to understand your word and what it says. Father, I pray that you would help me to speak to this group of people tonight, Lord, as you know that I am not able. Father, I pray that you would forgive me if there is anything in my life or heart that would hinder what you're trying to do in this place tonight. So Father, I thank you for the privilege to worship, to gather, to sing, to pray, and to hear from your word. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Matthew chapter 13, I want us to look at the parable that Jesus gives. I want to give you three quick points from that. And then I want to go and look at how Jesus explains this to us tonight. In Matthew the 13th chapter, starting in verse 24, the Bible says these words. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. I want to just read to you an explanation of the setting of this from my Bible commentary that I have. The tares or weeds were probably darn old, which resembles wheat during the early stages of growth, but is actually poisonous. Roman law prohibited sowing tares in another's field, which suggests Jesus' story was realistic. The root system of the weed and the tares became intertwined as the crop matured, which makes it difficult to uproot the weeds without damaging the wheat. There's something I want to point out this morning, because the tonight, excuse me, because two weeks ago the seed was the Word of God. And tonight if you try to put those two things together, you will be confused. Tonight the good seed is the believer, the born-again believer of Jesus Christ that is in the world. And the tear is those people who are not children of God. They are not born again believers in Jesus. And so tonight, if you try to put this in a church setting, you are going to miss the context of what it is. It is really Jesus trying to give you and I, who are God's people, encouragement with the idea of how do we live amongst people who hate God hate the things of God, mock the things of God, but yet the flesh of us wants God to intervene, that we want God to judge, that we want God to fix it right now, but yet God tells us to wait. There are a couple things from this parable I want to show you, and the first is this, very quickly, we need to wake up. As the servants of God, as the uh, ministers of the gospel, which all of us are called, to minister, most of us are asleep. 
And many times, Satan is impacting your family and my family through different means. And we talked about this in our Sunday school class today, that sometimes Satan blinds our eyes through pleasure. He tells the world that sin is so much more fun than being a Christian. Sometimes Satan blinds our eyes by pain, by the fact that you've been hurt by Christians, that all Christians are hypocrites, that that there's no one good that goes to church. Sometimes Satan blinds our eyes through our purpose, that we get in this mindset that my purpose is something other than honoring God. And so we see here, but look what it says here, Christian, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Paul is saying it's time for you and I to quit assuming that everybody believes, that everybody knows, that everybody understands, and get back to the business of declaring the things of God to people and to living out our faith. Awake! Did you see in this parable that it came at night when they were sleeping and spread the tears? Second thing I want to show you that I can clarify this, this is not talking about church discipline. This is not talking about the fact that if I and Brad have a problem, that we're supposed to just sweep it under the rug, we shouldn't talk about it, we shouldn't deal with it. No, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that this is not talking about two Christians. This parable is about how you live in a lost and fallen world. Listen to what it talks about when it talks about church reconciliation and discipline in Matthew, the 18th chapter. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more by the mouth of one or two or two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That is the goal of reconciliation. This idea that whatever our problem is, we want God to fix it, we want to fix it, and we want to celebrate that God can put back together something that is tore apart. It's not talking about that. Because many people will say, well, see, we should never say anything about anybody because we might pull up the wheat and the tares. It's not what he's talking about. And the third thing I want to show you from this parable, because he literally says there, don't tear them up together, is the third thing I think that you should see from this is you should never join a movement or a religion or a cult that persecutes someone for their faith. I want you to hear this this morning. If you are part of a group that thinks it is all right to persecute another human being for their faith, you are in the wrong business. As Baptists, we believe in religious liberty, religious freedom, the right that every person is responsible to answer to God. It's not my job to answer for God on your account. It's not the government's job to tell you what to do if you view that something is sinful and wrong. Religious freedom, religious liberty. And listen to what the Bible says in Romans, the 14th chapter. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so, as much as we disagree with different people in different faiths, they are entitled to practice that faith. And one of these days, if they die apart from Jesus Christ, Jesus will judge them. Jesus will hold them accountable. 
Jesus will deal with it. And so we have to live our faith, to preach the gospel, to do the things that God called us to do. But rounding up non-Christians, or what you are seeing in Afghanistan today, rounding up non-Muslims and executing them is never something that honors God, even if your faith is right. I believe Baptists are the closest thing to right there are. I don't think we're perfect. Trust me, we got lots of problems. But if I knew something that I thought we did wrong, I would try to change it. But when I get to heaven, God's going to tell us all that there is something we believe that was wrong. But even though I think we are the most correct, there is no reason for us to start rounding up people who disagree with our faith and taking their freedom to worship. Because why does it say Jesus is going to judge? Every man is going to judge. And so we see that here when he tells them, don't worry about it now. There's coming a day when I will sort it all out. And so jump down here with verse 36 with me because I want us to really hear how Jesus explains the meaning of this parable. He starts in verse 36 through verse 38. And if you're taking notes tonight, you can write these down. There are only two groups of people. There are only two groups of people in the world. And starting in the 36th verse there, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed seeds are the sons of God. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. And so I read one extra verse there because I want you to hear this. Because what he tells us here is he explains the meaning of this. He literally tells us, like he told the Pharisees, that you are of your father the devil. And the Bible tells us all the way back in the book of Genesis that the seed of woman and the seed of Satan. And so he is telling us there are two groups of people. There are God's children and those who are not. You see, we live in a world that has become multicultural in its religion. That we might as well all worship who we want because we're all going to the same place. But what Jesus teaches us here is no. You are either a wheat you are either the child of God, the son of the kingdom, the daughter of the kingdom, or you are a child of Satan. You see, there are many things that our church can, can get along with other people about. We can get along with things of minor doctrine and things like that. But what we must not compromise is that all people fit into one or two categories. They are either covered by the blood of Jesus or they are not. They are either saved and on their way to heaven or they are not. You say, Jake, that is a narrow-minded and closed view. That's what Jesus explains here. Jesus literally says in these verses that the good seed are those that know him. The bad seed are those that are Satan's. And there is no third. There is no fourth. There is no fifth example. It is one or the other. And so tonight you really need to think about this in your walk with God. 
Because tonight, many times, people will sit on a church pew, they'll sit in a church seat, they'll come to Sunday school, and they will convince themselves that they know the plan of salvation. But I want you to know something, the plan of salvation is not enough to get you to heaven. You have to know the man of salvation. You can know the A's and the B's and the C's. You can know the things that the Bible teaches, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're lost. But tonight, Jesus gives us this parable so that every single one of us can think about this and really evaluate our life. Am I really born again? Am I really a seed of God? Am I really a part of the family of God? Or am I a part of a church? Am I a part of a movement? Am I here because the church makes me feel good? Am I here because the church was nice to me in my difficult time? I'm here because my friends are here. I'm here because it's good for my kids. Or are you here tonight because you know without a shadow of a doubt that I belong to Jesus, that I'm a part of His family, that I know that this is where He wants me to be hearing the Word of God and growing in my faith because He is the one that died for me. He's the one that has saved me. And tonight I know that if God calls me home this moment that I am without a shadow of a doubt going to go from here to in His presence. You say, Jake, how can you know that? Because you have to know Him. You have to know that God has worked and moved in your life. You say, how would I know that? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Because seeds produce things. And so tonight I want to ask you, have you seen God change your life? Not you. I'm not talking about do you talk a little better than you used to? Do you walk a little cleaner than you used to? Do you not have as much dirty things in your house as you used to? I'm talking about tonight, do you have joy that is unexplainable? Do you have peace that surpasses all understanding? Do you have the understanding that you have been forgiven so much that you can then what? Forgive other people. You see, fruits that don't come naturally You can look good. You can talk right. You can walk right. But there are things that happen to you at salvation when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, when the Spirit of God takes residence, when God begins to work and move in your life that are unimitatable. And I don't think that's a real word, but it's what I'm going to use. You can imitate a lot of things. I love when Dr. Adrian Rogers says this. He goes, how many people do you know that are counterfeiting bubblegum wrappers? And you would say, well, no one's counting fitting bumblegum wrappers. And he says, yes, because they are not valuable. Bubblegum wrappers are worthless. But there are a whole lot of people trying to counterfeit $100 bills. Because a $100 bill is what? Valuable. And Satan will try to convince you that you are as close to the real thing as real is. You see, Satan would just as much rather send you to hell from the church pew as the bar stool. Satan loves religion because he can make you feel good about yourself. He can make you feel like you've checked off the boxes. I went to worship this morning. I went to confession tonight. I went to, I gave my offering today. I have done these things that have measured up to the religious standard of the day. And what you will realize is you will die and stand before God and you will not know Him. You'll know all about Him. But tonight God wants you to know Him. God wants a relationship with you. 
Jesus Christ, when He hung upon the cross and died for your sins and mine, He didn't die for an idea of a person. He didn't die for a thought of a person. He died for a person. And that person was you. He died to take your sin. Not the thought of your sin. Not the feelings of your sin. The actual sin and the punishment that you and I deserve. He took and so tonight when Jesus tells them that you're either of your son, of your father, the devil, or of you are of your father, God, there's only two groups. Second thing I want to show you from this parable tonight. Well, really, I want to let me read one verse from the book of Matthew. Matthew 25, verse 31 and 32. When the son of man comes into his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Just two groups. There's not a third group. There's not a Baptist group, a Methodist group, a Catholic group, a Muslim group, a Hindu group. There are only two. Those that are of God and those that are not of God. So the second thing I want to show you though is not only are there two groups of people from this text, there will also be a judgment for the lost. You say, Jake, I don't like it when preachers preach on judgment. Then just read the text and I won't talk about it. Look what it says in verse 39. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So he says it specifically. We're talking about the end of time. And so what he's saying is all of us will get our final reward or our final punishment at the end of time. You say, Jake, you don't get judged for everything immediately? No. And this is why. After I am dead and gone, I hope that the ministry that I have had continues to bear fruit. I don't know what technology will be like in the future or why anybody would listen to me online, but I hope many years after I'm gone, there might be someone that's scrolling through whatever device there is and says, who? I wonder who this guy is. Here's the gospel and get saved. Or your grandkids who are saved in vacation Bible school, and I have the privilege of pastoring, are then called to pastor. And five or six generations down the road are still reaping the reward or the fruit of a ministry. Many of you would say that about your grandparents. The heritage that they passed down to you. Or your parents' heritage. That didn't stop when they died. It still lives with you. And if you pass it down to your grandkids. It is still them. And so on that great day of judgment at the end of time. And all these things have stopped. You will either be judged according to all of it. Or you will be rewarded. For it. And so what we see here is Jesus is saying the end of time, the angels are the reapers. And so look what it says here in verse 40. Just take what Jesus says, not Jacob. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Who are the tares? 
the lost. And he says, just like it is with the tares in the field being thrown into the fire, those who are not the sons or daughters of God will be thrown where? Into the fire. These are Jesus' words, not mine. Look what it says in verse 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You see, the parables were not meant for everyone to hear. And that's why when he told them, so many in the multitude went away. And as you've seen anything, then once he goes back to the house, the disciples are like most of us. How many of you have ever been a part of a conversation and you knew nothing about what they were talking about, but you didn't want to ask a question because you didn't want to feel like an idiot? But yet after everybody left, you're like, do you care to explain any of that to me? I literally lived my life that way. And that's what they did. They're saying, we heard the parable. We don't understand the parable. Would you explain the parable to us? And Jesus is specifically explaining what he had taught them. And so this morning, excuse me, tonight, you might say, Jake, I just don't believe in a hell. There are some of the largest churches and pastors in America who have come out and said the Bible does not teach a literal hell. The Bible doesn't teach a place where the lost die and go and suffer for all eternity. You say, Jake, some people even teach there's a place where you can go for a while and avoid it altogether. But what Jesus says is there's two groups of people. And there are two places that we will all, one or the other, end up. And Jesus says it is a place of fire. It is a place of judgment. It is a place of wailing and the gnashing of teeth. You say, Jake, I don't like it when a pastor scares people to heaven. I don't think you can scare people to heaven. But I think one thing, you better warn them where they're going. And I'm going to be honest with you. We as a church and we as churches have quit preaching the warning of hell. We have. You say, well, I don't like sermons on that or Sunday school lessons on that. Or, or I just, you know, it makes me uncomfortable because I got friends and family that have died. and I don't know where they went or I've got friends and family in my life now that I don't know where they're going to go. Look up here. If it doesn't drive you to start praying for your lost and family and friends now, friends, you're not really worried about it. That's why I pray for my children. I know the Bible teaches about a heaven. And I know the Bible teaches about a hell. And I believe that both of them are even more great or more horrible than the Bible says. And I want my children to go to heaven. I want my children to be in the presence of a God who loves them and cares for them and dies for them and promised that there would be a place where there are no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness because the former things have passed away. I can't save my children, but the Bible says that I am to pray for all men. And the Bible talks about, and we, this is my Sunday school lesson all over again tonight, so, so for you that were in my Sunday school class, I'm sorry, good thing there's only two of you. But no, <laughs> um, but, uh, but literally the Bible talks about when the rich man going to heaven and how impossible it is more than the camel through the eye of a needle. At the very end of that passage of Scripture is where one of the most famous verses in the Bible is used. 
right? That nothing is impossible with God. And we slap it on sports teams, right? Lord wants you to win the championship. All things are possible through God, right? You put it at your bathroom walls on one of those little things, and I don't even know what you're trying to get across with that. But hey, I don't know how bad it is, but it must be bad, right? But what he's talking about there is actually that verse in its context is about salvation. That it is impossible for us to be saved, but with God, and what He has done on the cross, what He does through the Holy Spirit, how He draws and works in our life, the impossibility of making us right with God is possible because of Jesus. And so friends, today I want you to know that Jesus deserves to send every single one of us to hell. But I'm thankful that the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world. John, the third chapter, verse 17. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ loves and came to seek and save that which was. I'm thankful for that. And so listen to what the Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us in the 20th chapter, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. There's no hiding from the judgment of God. You cannot say, I won't do anything with Jesus. You can't say, I'll die and I won't have to answer for this. Listen to what it says in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, it is again just teaching this absolute truth. That there are not multiple ways to be saved. There are not multiple ways to come to God. There are not multiple ways to make people feel good about their decisions and their feelings and their emotions. You either are saved or you are not. You either lost or you are found. You either are a child of God or you are an enemy of God. And the third and final thing tonight, and I'll be closing quickly. Lord willing is there will be rewards for the saved. There will be rewards for the saved. Look what it says there in verse 43. Then the righteous, that's us because of him, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, I think this is amazing because Jesus has just taught some very hard stuff but he doesn't tell them to keep it a secret he says let him who have ears and i know there are people that don't have ears okay i know there are people that might have one ear but that's not the point of this scripture he is trying to give a general statement that you all have ears and he wants you to hear he wants you to hear that there is going to be a heaven and a reward for those that know Jesus. He wants you to know the warning of damnation and judgment. For those that don't know Jesus. 
And listen to what Matthew 5 verse 12 says. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You need to rejoice because heaven is much better than the Bible can describe. Heaven is much better than these yo-yos that keep making visits to heaven and writing books about is. Heaven is better than any movie that you've ever saw about heaven. Heaven is more sweet than anything that you and I could ever comprehend. And he says you ought to rejoice and be exceedingly what? Glad. That means suck it up, buttercup. That means it doesn't matter what this world throws at you. I have got something to look forward to. You see, my life and your life should be living and making a difference here. But you ought to have one eye where you're going. And you ought to have one eye. And I'm not talking about one of them crazy situations. On heaven. All right. That's how you ought to live your life. Knowing Lord I'm going to serve you with every breath I have here. I'm going to make a difference every moment that you've given me here Lord. I'm going to win people to Jesus. I'm going to pray for the lost. I'm going to help the hurting. I'm going to worship in the church house. I'm going to, I'm going to serve in the street. I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do. But when my number is called. It is going to be so much better for me there than it is here. And you know what I really think? I think most of us love the idea of heaven. But most of us have no desire to get there very soon. Because friends, I want you to think about what you're thinking about work tomorrow. Oh, I got to go. Oh, I got I think that about Monday sometimes too. Don't worry. I uh, if you knew what kind of boss I had, just ask the employees here. They'll tell you how bad of a boss they can have. Oh, you just, I just, I, I'm up so late and I just, oh, I just, that's the wrong way of thinking. You've got to think that God has given you another opportunity to make a difference. You say, Jake, I stay at home and I'm going to have three screaming kids and it's going to be a madhouse. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be crazy. I got to try to teach them school. I got to try to keep them alive. I got to try to do all these things. You have been given the privilege of having another day to make a difference. And friends, when you realize that every day that God gives you here is a privilege because he still has a purpose for you, life becomes so much different. Life becomes so much different. But if we're honest, how do you view Monday? How do you view Tuesday? How do you view Wednesday? And if you're honest today, it's probably with not much joy. Now you get to Thursday and you think it's almost. And then you get to Friday and you think it's almost over. It's almost over. But friends, what I want you to know is when you live your life that way, one of these days you're going to wake up old and disappointed, and you're going to be dreading the fact that you have wasted the opportunity that God has given you to serve Him and honor Him. doesn't matter what God calls you to do. God calls you to be an underwater basket weaver. You be the best underwater basket weaver God's called you to be. God's called you to work construction. You be the best Christian employee that you could possibly be. God's called you to be a stay-at-home mom. You be the best stay-at-home mom that God has called you and equipped you to be. And that's how you ought to view it because every day is not a burden. God has got you here for a purpose because if he was ready to reward you, 
he would call you home. Some of you say, well, if God really wanted to reward me, he'd help me win the lottery. Or if, if God really wanted to reward me, he'd help me find a rich uncle that I don't really know or like, and I would get the inheritance. But no, friends, when God is ready to reward you, you will leave this world. And so tonight I want to challenge you that he gives us this strict warning, this strict concern, because Jesus knows how sweet heaven is. And Jesus knows how terrible hell will be. And I used part of this verse earlier, but I want to finish my sermon with this verse tonight from John, the third chapter. Because tonight you be, might be saying, well, God is vindictive and God shouldn't send anyone to hell and, and God doesn't love people. But listen to what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And I want you to read these next four words with me. But, oh, it's not on there, is it? That's right, I didn't put it up there. I'm sorry, Lane, that's my bad. My bad, senior moment, hanging out with all these older people. But the world, but that the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So tonight I want you to hear these words. If you're here and you've been listening to my voice and you're saying, Jake, I am lost. I am not saved. I know the plan, but I don't know the man. I know the rituals, but I don't have the relationship. Tonight, I want you to know something that Jesus came to save you from your sin. And tonight, if you will repent, that means you got to get alone right here in just a moment with the spirit of God's conviction and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, I am a rebel. I am living for myself. But God, I know that I am a wretch. But tonight, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. That he hung there. That he bled. That he died for me. And that he rose again. And Lord I'm here tonight admitting that I'm a sinner. And I am turning from my sin and wickedness. And I'm putting my faith and trust in you. And tonight I want to confess Lord. That you are the Lord and Savior of my life. Friends, I want you to know something. The Bible makes you a promise. You say, Jake, this is a Sunday night crowd. I don't care. There are lost people in this building tonight. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's God's promise to you tonight. You say, Jake, I've been baptized. The Bible doesn't say if you're baptized, you're going to go to heaven. You say, Jake, I, I was raised general baptist. I've been dunked multiple times. I don't care how many times you've been dunked. No offense to the general Baptist. That's how I was raised. You say, Jake, I've given more money to this church and to the kingdom of God than anyone else in here. It don't matter. You don't have enough to get yourself there. You say, Jake, I'm here every time the church doors are open. I'm a, I'm a good church member. I don't cause any trouble. I'm a helper. I'm a worker. I'm a server. It's not enough. Friends, you either know him as the Lord and Savior of your life or you don't. But tonight, the great hope is this. Even if you don't know him, tonight you can. You say, well, preacher, I know that I'm saved. I know that I've been born again. I've been covered by the blood and dwelled by the spirit. Then I want to ask you this one simple question. Is every day an opportunity that God has given you 
or have you let the cares of this world drag you down? If I can just make it two more years, I can retire. Just two more years. Friends, be careful about retiring. You might realize that your spouse don't like you as near as much as you think she does. But I want to ask you, how many times have you said that to yourself? Oh, if I can just get through three more weeks, I've got vacation coming. Oh, if I can just get through winter. So tonight, I want to challenge you, church. Well, I got a lot of stuff I could be doing on Sunday. I said, listen to this guy scream at me twice. Or if you're unlucky to be like Jamie and Lucas and Janice, they get it multiple times more than you do. So tonight I want to challenge this church. Is every day a gift? Is every day an opportunity? Because friends, when God's really ready to bless you, you won't have another day here. But you'll have an eternity there. And so tonight with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you one simple question tonight. Are you willing to let God do business with you here? Because if you're willing, he will. Maybe tonight you've been saved. You've given your heart and life to Jesus, but you never told a soul. And tonight you're ready to publicly say, I am born again and a part of the family of God. You say, Jake, I can't tell nobody that. I'm shy. I'm embarrassed. What will people think? I'm telling you what, if all the angels in heaven have rejoiced when you got saved, this church will rejoice with you. And all God's people said, you say, Jake, but I'm an adult and I've never been baptized and I'm afraid if I come up there, you're going to make me be baptized. Tonight, I want you to know this, but if God's really saved you, whatever that fear in your life is, whether it's being in front of people or water, God can give you the victory over that. I'm not going to force you to do nothing. Just celebrate with you. Maybe tonight you want to come and pray for that prodigal in your family. You want to come pray for your attitude about how things are. Whatever it is tonight. As Jamie begins to sing and Janice begins to play, these altars are open. Let God do business with you tonight.